Hello friends, my name is Jude Mark McGowan and welcome to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund and Epic Projects, or the Ecumenical Project for International Cooperation, who are a US-based non-profit organisation. Go to their website, epicprojects.org. My guest today is Jack Churchill. He is the CEO and co-founder of the assistive technology supplier, Scanning Pens. He is also the chair of the Global Special Interest Group for the British Assistive Technology Association, or the BATA. Jack and his university friend, Toby Sutton, started Scanning Pens back in 2003. Jack's mission is to make sure both adults and children across the world within the neurodivergent community have the necessary tools to read confidently. They are committed to finding new ways to help those with neurodiversity work and learn with confidence. As always, this is a podcast to support the brilliant work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of dyslexic people so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. They do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and teach them to read for free. And they have a free online screening tool, which you can use to assess yourself or a loved one for dyslexia. I was very excited to speak to Jack. Um, Scanning pens now have helped change the game for neurodivergent people in exams. And uh, we get into it in the the podcast. We talk about um, his business, how it started, and his own journey as a dyslexic. I hope you enjoy. Well, hello. Hello and welcome, Jack. Hi, Jude. Uh, great to meet you. Thanks for inviting me on today. No, it's an absolute pleasure. We've uh, we've just uh, st- started utilising Zoom as part of our recording, dear listener, and I can see in the back of um, Jack's shot, succeed with dyslexia on the wall, which is exactly where I want to start. Um, how do you characterise your own success Um through dyslexia, through through your pens, through through the um, through the uh, the business that you and your your good friend started all those years ago. Well, it's life's a funny old thing, really. I'd never planned to go into the world of dyslexia. In fact, when I started out in the workplace, I'd pretty much totally forgotten that um, I had had a dyslexia assessment when I was at school, and I'd really struggled so much um, in my early days, actually. So. Uh, it's it's great. I, I'm so happy finding myself um, in the world of dyslexia um, with a business that employs quite a lot of people now. And we're out there supporting uh, lots of children every day of the week to access words, access text, be independent, be confident. And as you mentioned, I've got a bag behind me with Succeed with Dyslexia on. This is the um, mantra that we've taken up as a bit of a sort of uh, corporate social responsibility and um, it's our way of raising awareness around dyslexia signposting to fantastic dyslexia organizations and um, we're just about to turn it into a charity in the next month so uh, that's really exciting after having it as a bit of fun a bit of something on the side of our business it's now actually going to turn into a proper charity in the next couple of months which is going to be great so amazing amazing and, and and what are you guys going to be focusing on with that charity um well it already employs um three people so we've got um an amazing chap called darren clark who is a adult dyslexic he discovered at the age of 36 he was dyslexic and all through his early days he really struggled at school and getting into the workplace and all the rest 
anyway, we um, met up with Darren at the end of last year and he had kindly agreed to come and be the face of Succeed with Dyslexia. And um, I couldn't have found a better person for that role, really, because he is absolutely fantastic. Um, so Succeed with Dyslexia runs a number of campaigns throughout the year. The first one is happening um, in March and it's all around uh, deer for dyslexia. So there's something you might have heard about in school called deer time or deer, which is drop everything and read. So we've put a bit of a twist on it as far as uh, dyslexia and supporting those people who might be uh, less able to access printed materials. So deer time is really in schools, they take 20 minutes and everyone in the school, including the teachers, drop everything and they read hmm. for 20 minutes. And it's to try and encourage that kind of um, reading for fun, reading for enjoyment, reading for pleasure. And um, some schools also encourage the kids to go home and do 20 minutes in the evening. And, you know, if you do 40 minutes of reading a day, it's going to help your vocabulary, help your word development hugely, as opposed to reading two minutes a day. So it's dramatic, the amount of progress you're going to make, um, and it will help you with your education. So anyway, so we've got this Deer for Dyslexia, which is a bit of a twist on Deer time and Deer, which is mainly in schools around supporting primary and some early secondary age children to get more into reading and you know find that love of books you know sometimes it's just that one novel that gets you into reading and gets that excitement uh we will then in april have a uh, a, a dear well so a dyslexia learning festival which will be something um all around you know helping people to uh, find out new strategies for reading and, and learning so that's something we run straight after the deer for dyslexia and then in october we do go red for dyslexia which is a big campaign all around raising greater awareness around dyslexia we saw this uh, happening in australia and in the states a couple of parent groups were during dyslexia awareness month deciding to what can we do to raise greater awareness reduce stigma around dyslexia uh, find more people who um, perhaps might be dyslexic and get them assessed and help them on their journey to, I guess, strategies, solutions. Um, so we basically joined the dots together and try and make the whole world go red in early October. Um, and actually it continues for the rest of the month as well. In the UK, it's really just one week, but the rest of the world does a whole month of um, dyslexia awareness. So um, we are quite excited by that. Um, so, yeah, those are the main campaigns that Succeed does. We do also have a news uh, video that gets put out once a month. We've got blogs that go out every day. And, yeah, the website is succeedwithdyslexia.org. And we're on social medias as well. Quite a big presence on TikTok now. We've just hit the 10,000 follower mark, which I don't know. I, I, I can't pretend. <laughs> my, I'm, I'm 46 years old and I do not spend much time on TikTok, I'm afraid, but um, I hear it's a lot of fun. I'm sure you do, Jude. <laughs> I, I don't, but I, I can completely understand why it's something you need to be across. And um, it's there's there's, uh, there's no getting away from it. It's clearly, um, as a device for reaching young people, incredibly um, useful. Uh, let's talk about your own your own journey with, with reading then. Um, was there, as you say, a particular novel or a book that you turned the corner on reading with? Um. I don't remember there being, you know, I've, I've always, I'm just, my dyslexia really is, I'm just really slow at reading. 
So right, okay. Yeah. Even today, I still find reading quite arduous, and um, I look for strategies like text to speech, and you know, or I encourage my colleagues to write me very short emails because then they'll get a, a much quicker response than if they send me four pages. Yes. Um, so, but I do love books. You know, the times I get into a good book, you know, I, I can absolutely be taken away and uh, lost in a book for um, quite some time. And, um, yeah, particularly for young people, it's so important to get into reading and to you know, enjoy it because it, it should be fun. Absolutely is. I mean, my uh, my reading mainly was done through audiobooks, consuming audiobooks when I was young, because obviously as an actor, stories and storytelling is something that has always fascinated me. Um, and my, my ability to understand quite complex stories, um, was above my reading age, but, you know, obviously my actual reading age at the time was considerably lower. Um, so yeah, I completely understand. Um, and, and also the, the love of performance I have as well. Uh, when you've got great actors reading audiobooks, it, it really helps people. Um, so when was it in school where, that, that you had that test, um, to, to test you for dyslexia? Yeah. So I was 14 years old. Um, I, I was a bit kind of distracted and um, perhaps very slightly disruptive. Uh, you know, I wouldn't uh-huh. say very disruptive, yeah. but that's common. I just, um, uh, and I was always, it was in the day and age where you probably wouldn't remember this, but for me, there were still lists on the, the door when you came into a classroom and it would give you the results of last week's work. And I would very often feature very close to the bottom of that list so um i wasn't doing terribly well academically and i think the school suggested i went off for a dyslexia assessment and in fact i found the dyslexia assessment the other day and i'm quite keen to find an educational psychologist to go through it with me and tell me what i can be doing better because apparently it's still very valid you know these things don't necessarily expire it's still yeah even though i did it 30 something years ago it's still a relevant piece of work um, but yeah, the the help I got was um, I got more support at school. I got extra time in my exams, and these kind of little things just really helped level the playing field. And this is what I'm really passionate about today: is supporting young children, particularly with exams, to ha- access those exam papers. Because if you can't read some of those words on that question paper, you can't answer it, and you're not being tested on your English reading ability in these exams. You're being tested on your knowledge of geography, physics, mm. maths. And if you get to a word like uh, uh, physiology or, um, I don't know, chemistry or whatever it is, and you yes. stumble on that and can't decode it, you can't move on. So the pen scanners we supply just allow someone to run over those words, hear them aloud, validate them. Often they're just validating those words. They know what they are. They're just being given that reassurance that it is that word that they've read, because even just one or two words off, you know, off um, off target can really, you know, be the difference between a pass and a fail. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's get into that. So let's get into your pens, um, uh, the 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 history of the business, and then also, of course, um, their functionality, how they work, um, how listeners could potentially get hold of one. Um, yeah. So. Um, it was probably about 17 years ago now I came across an Israeli company who made um, pen scanners. Uh, they were called Wizcom Technologies. They're not really around um, anymore, but they developed um, a, a pen scanner that had a camera on the front, a screen and a speaker, and you can plug headphones in and you run the pen over words and it reads aloud to you. Um, we sold that product for many years. It was quite a hard sale because the pen was a bit clunky and 
the voice was a bit slow um, and we knew that if we could get faster more accurate better quality voices as well we could have a real killer product a standalone product that could really make a difference to people on their you know reading on their own as it were so um, we approached a Swedish company about seven years ago now and they'd never made reading pens before and we said to them that you've got some great tech could you adapt it for um, for us and we want various different variety of pen we want one for exams which doesn't store anything doesn't have a dictionary we want another one for everyday use called the reader pen which will have a dictionary have storage have a voice recorder all those extra bits that you kind of want if you're a student and studying Mm. and then we want another pen which is a translator pen for translating anyway we've had a fantastic collaboration with them over the last uh, seven years Uh, they've you know we've worked with them to create these great products and i mean our business has totally uh, changed we've gone from being just two of us um you know and a business that was bumping along to we've now got 120 employees uh, based in five countries and um, you know a really exciting business that is genuinely changing lives of people who use our tech every day of the week so it's very proud for us to, that we finally made it you know both my business partner toby's uh, wife and my wife both said to us along the way guys come on you've got kids now you need <laughs> to just grow up go and get a proper job stop messing around um yeah, yeah we yeah, need to yeah. bring money in and um, we were like no we know there's something in this pen scanner business we know there's something in the simplicity you don't need wi-fi you can just scan over words hear them aloud and so the big breakthrough came for us with the new technologies i've just mentioned plus getting approval from the exam boards that our pens could be used in any exam in the UK without accommodations. So that means any child or, yeah. That was 2014, wasn't it? 2014, yeah. Big. It was a game changer for us. It would have been a a massive game changer for me, certainly in my exams. You know, I I was obviously fortunate to get uh, longer time in exams and and a computer and longer time for coursework. But even so, it was... uh, you know, it was tough. It was tough. And I'm sure had I one of your pens in my exams way back in 2006, <laughs> um, it would have helped me enormously. You're kind. You're kind, Jude. Um, you know, the, the the thing for these schools has been that um, they have so many children who struggle with reading. And it might be mm. that they've got low literacy or they've got dyslexia or that they are have got English as an additional language. You know, if you're a Polish kid and you've come to the UK, and you're expected to take a GCSE, you know, a year or so after arriving, you know, you might have very good at spoken English, but your uh, reading of English might be a different story. Yeah, so, um, totally. You know, the, the pens just allow that person to be back in the main exam hall, scanning on their own, being independent, not being put in a separate room with a human reader. And um, yeah, and that's what the exam board wanted. They said to us we're going to allow these pens for two reasons. One, the schools can't cope. We're getting so many schools complaining they don't have enough rooms, they don't have enough human readers. And the second reason was they said these kids are going to go into the workplace soon. We need to have them working independently. We can't have them just still relying on humans at the age of 17, 18, 19, 20. They need to have independent strategies. And I would never profess that our technology is for everybody. There's definitely children out there who need human readers to help them with their exams. But if you, as a school, can get more of those children back into the main exam hall, managing on their own, then it's good for the child and it's good for the school as well. Of course it is. Well, that sort of brings me 
to something I wanted to raise with you. Um, you would have seen quite recently, Robin Walker, the MP, uh, said that um, people don't need a different approach to reading. The standard ways of, of, of uh, approaching learning to read should work for everybody, regardless of whether or not you're neurodiverse. How do you, what do you think about that? Um, there's obviously a huge variety of ways to learn to read. Phonics has been the most um, popular one over recent years. Um, but I think right now there's now a big push to try and allow other strategies in to be used so that um, children have different opportunities to learn. And you know, perhaps the phonics strategy didn't work, so they try they try a different one. And um, I'm, no, I'm not a great expert on, you know, learning to read etc but i do know that a variety of solutions has got to be better than forcing every child down the same pipeline to learn to read yeah i mean i understand i understand the reticence because it obviously would take a huge amount of investment um in order to provide for if one in eight children in a classroom have some form of you know learning difficulty it's obviously going to take a great deal of um investment but but surely if we're not investing in our children then then what else are we investing in well, absolutely. The the literacy rates are just astronomical, and particularly with uh, what we've all just been through with COVID. You know, they're mm. estimating that eighty percent of children are not at the appropriate reading age, and you know, this this is dramatic. You know, if you if you are behind by a year or even two years at your reading ability, how are you going to access that curriculum that you're faced with now? Yeah, you've moved up a year. You're now got new. You know, language coming in, new, new words you're being faced with. You know, how are you going to manage that? Um, so yeah. we've got a major problem coming down the track that we're going to have a whole load of young people who are going to be heading into the workplace and potentially they're not going to pass their exams. And secondly, they're going to really struggle in the workplace because they've never properly learned to read. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I teach as well as, as, well as um, my numerous other side hustles. And, I, and I'm teaching 18-year-olds, 18-year-old, 19-year-olds, and they've struggled making the, the readaption back from this, you know, us speaking on Zoom now, recording this podcast, uh, and having lessons as they would, you know, uh, and then coming back into a classroom. And that's just on a human level. That's just on the level of connecting with another person. It's been a, it's been a real difficulty. Certainly, I've heard across lots of institutions, 18-year-olds going into um, university, that it's a real struggle. No, definitely. And, um, you know, I guess we just wish them all the best. But, um, you know, it has been a real, um, some people have been very fortunate, they've been able to access the right equipment and access the learning, you know, but there's a whole plethora of society which has been left out to a certain extent, they haven't been able to, they haven't been able to even get to a computer screen, because there's been so much other chaos going on in their lives or their homes or wherever. And, um, Mm. you know, a lot of people have lost family members and been huge disruption, hasn't there, with going to school, not going to school. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you really sympathise for the younger generation, actually. And like you say, even the social and emotional, um, mm. mental well-being, there's there's lots of issues they're, they're going to be facing now, which, you know, we need to help them catch up, don't we? Totally. If you've already got a learning difficulty to begin with, and then you've got this additional emotional stress of, of uh, COVID and pandemic, it's mm. it's not going to help you. It's really not. But I I, I think Jude, we should say it's not all bad though, because my seven year old came home from school and he asked me to log in. He said he move off the computer. He wanted to log into Teams. So <laughs> I was really quite shocked because that's obviously the system we use as a company. And you know to see seven year olds accessing you know amazing 
technology which we use in the workplace is going to set them up also quite well for future life. So it hasn't all been bad and it seems like we're coming out of things at the end of the day. So there is a brighter future ahead, perhaps. Absolutely. You're completely right to Jack to bring that level of positivity in, you know, of course. Um, young 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 people have, are incredibly versatile and and um that they can i'm sure adapt but it's uh it hasn't been easy obviously um but let's talk about uh so you met toby at oxford right oxford brooks way back when oxford brooks yeah it just uh changed from being a poly uh 1995 i think it was so right yeah Back in the day, we played a lot of pool together at university and we became friends and we never thought we'd ever set up a business together. But uh, we did both about a year after being you know, leaving university, we ended up um, working at the same ed tech startup company. Um, it was some friends of mine. They were looking for more people. It was around the time of the dot-com boom. It was like, oh, do you know anyone who's free, who's available to come and help out? We've got so much to do. And mm-hmm. anyway, so we... I got him involved and then actually about a year and a half later, the whole thing just blew up when the internet bubble burst and um, they realized there were no revenue streams and, um, <laughs> you know, right. we're back to square one. So it was after that that Toby and I thought, well, it'd be quite fun to set up our own business together. We tried a whole range of different things. We sold mobile you know, fashion phones, fashion mobile phones. We sold um, wheat blankets that heat up in the microwave and we went to the sort of spirit of Christmas shows and we're busy selling yeah. them. But you need to sell a lot of wheat blankets to make any money. And making mm-hmm. a few pounds profit on each one was really not making as much progress. So um, we always came back to the pen scanners at the end of the day, even though we did other things. And after 17 years, the pen scanners have been the ones that have really pulled through. And in fact, six, seven years ago is when I mentioned that our sort of breakthroughs, um, we actually shut down a couple of other little businesses we were still running. Well, we had this idea, you know, we had to hedge our bets a bit. So we, it was, as I mentioned, the time of the dot-com sort of revolution, you know, boom, bust time. This was the, what was happening of my time. It was like a sort of mini industrial revolution. And it just seemed mad not to jump on the bandwagon and get involved. With, you know, the internet was brand new you could now sell things, not just in your marketplace outside your home, but you could sell things to the rest of the world. And Toby and I really saw that and we embraced it. And we thought, yeah, wouldn't it be fun to set up a business selling something? And then we go to sleep or go out and it carries on selling things while we're away. You you don't need to even have a shopkeeper manning it most of the time. And so, and actually doing all those different businesses really helped us because we learned a lot of like horrible lessons. Like, I don't know, don't try and, buy too many things from too many different people because it becomes a logistical nightmare and you end up with way too much stock and money is tied up in stock and inventory and Mm. I don't know. Um, I spent many hours queuing at the post office to dispatch my um, little internet business goods, probably like lots of other people. Um, Yeah. Well, what what speaks to me there is is the level of tenacity that you both clearly have. you know, if it, oh, it's not this thing, it's that thing. Oh, we'll try something else. Clearly, you, you felt either intuitively, um, subconsciously, or consciously that, that that you were a good team, but you hadn't found the thing, um, or you had found the thing, or it just hadn't had its moment yet. I guess twenty fourteen and allowing pens in exam rooms was the uh, was the thing. Um, but I, I, it's it's a thing that characterizes most, if not all, of our guests is tenacity. 
and and also um, a, a belief in oneself. Was that was that did that come about because you were like there's a great relationship with you and Toby? Um, you 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 worked really well together, or I mean, it sounds bad to say, but we're both a little bit arrogant, um, so we're a bit, <laughs> a bit foolhardy probably and uh, determined. And, <laughs> We don't, yeah. like you say, tenacity, don't like to give up, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. We should have probably given up many times, but I'm so glad we didn't. Um, yeah. What's quite interesting, and this has come out uh, before when other people have asked me about, you know, my relationship with Toby is that he is super organized and we are a very good partnership. You know, I'm I'm disorganized, he's organized, um, you know, but I will still... I'm quite a good communicator. I'm very good at meeting people and joining the dots and connecting up ideas. And he's very good at making things happen. And actually, you know, I never thought about this at all setting out. I just, we got on well together and we thought, you know, why not let's do a business together? But, you know, we've both got very different strengths and um, different weaknesses. And, uh, you know, Toby would not do this today. He wouldn't go on a podcast. It's just yeah. not his thing um, at all. So, I'm sure he's delighted that I'm here doing it for him. Yeah. So, yeah, you can speak for him, absolutely. But I do think um, I do think dyslexics do look perhaps for uh, people to to help them along the way and to c- cope with. And we both again uh, found each other and support each other in different ways. So, um, I think it's probably not an uncommon thing to happen. Absolutely, absolutely, it's not. No, no. Um, whether it's authors we've had on who have an editor who may well help them and suggest things to them. Um, but we're all looking for workarounds, aren't we? It's, it's, it's the, whether it's with our reading or maths in my case or, or what have you, workarounds are incredibly important. Um, so what's the future for um, Scatter Pens? Um, so, you know, we're continuing to just uh, develop the products a bit, make them even better and greater for um, young and older people. Um, last year, we brought out something called Reader Pen Secure, which is a um, a blue pen, and uh, it doesn't store any data. So it's it scans and it reads aloud. It's got a dictionary definitions on it as well. So it's ideal for the workplace. There's plenty of people in the workplace who are dyslexic or struggling readers mm. who find it really hard to sometimes access printed materials and this pen doesn't store any data so it's gdpr compliance it can be in the workplace being used by you know if a nurse comes to your house and is dyslexic you know he or she could read your medical records with the pen or read the words that they're struggling with and you know um, that they're not storing your data so if they were to come and use um, a phone with an app on it that takes a picture and turns it into text and reads it aloud that image might well be stored in the cloud now and stored on Apple or Google's databases. And so we wanted to come out with a piece of technology that was standalone. You could use it in a local government or the MOD or in a factory. You know, some people who work in uh, plants and factories, they have to leave all their stuff in a locker at the gate. And mm. But mm. they may still well be given health and safety documents. They may be given instructions for the day. And so this just gives them a way of accessing those printed materials. And we had a fantastic breakthrough last year. We've been working for four years now in prisons. And wow. the Ministry of Justice approved the use of this pen in prison cells. You know, we'd already been in education wings, um, which yeah. is all very well. But during COVID, no one was using education wings. So no. 
we really pushed hard and they allowed the pens to be used in prison cells. So now there's 100,000 people in UK prisons, 50,000 of which have got low literacy. And so some of those inmates now are using our technology to be able to read on their own during the 90% of the day when they're locked away. And um, it could be reading for pleasure. It could be reading for study. It could be you know, reading letters that come through from their lawyers or their family. Can you imagine mm. having to ask your cellmate or ask the prison officer to read you a letter from your lawyer all about your case or your probation yeah. or whatever it might be mm. yeah, all that information is power in a prison and so the more you can do on your own and be independent um the better it is for your outcomes in life and your confidence yeah it's brilliant it's very exciting and finally just one final question uh, what else do you want to achieve to help the um, dyslexic community Ooh, um well um, Matt Hancock, um, the MP, is working on a very interesting bill at the moment, which is having its, I think, second reading. And it's all about um, screening children at a younger age uh, for mm. dyslexia. You know, if we can find out which children, you know, you should be able to find out at the age of five or six if a child is dyslexic or not, and then give them the right supports. I went to some schools in um, America. I went to a school in Atlanta and um, I was really shocked. They said they get the kids in aged eight and they push them back again into mainstream schools by the age of 12, 13. And those children are then able to, they've caught up and they're able to function uh, in class alongside their peers. And I think if we can catch more children at a younger age and get them the right help, the, yeah, the right extra tuition, extra assistive technology to help them on their way, then this is going to get them to their secondary school in fine fettle so that they'll be able to work alongside their peers, get the exam results they deserve and get into the jobs that they really should get in life. So uh, I'm quite excited with what Matt's doing. Um, the other thing I would say is I'm very excited what we're doing with Succeed with Dyslexia. You mm. know, it's um, we're really trying to just get more awareness and get more people involved and um, get more businesses. Last month, I went to Plymouth had a citywide neurodiversity uh, event, which is the first ever citywide neurodiversity like forum where people from all different companies could come together and uh, share knowledge, best practice. Um, and it might be about supporting people into work. It might be supporting people in work. And I think things like that where big businesses are getting together with smaller businesses and collaborating and sharing, I think is a really positive thing. And I'd like to see more cities do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jack, thank you so much for giving us your time. We really appreciate that. And um, good luck. Good luck moving forward. No, thank you so much for inviting me again. It's been a very interesting uh, hour. So many thanks. You've been listening to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Jude McGowan. My guest today was Jack Churchill. And there are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. And please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go to dyslexia-help.org. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund and Epic Projects, or the Ecumenical Project for International Cooperation. EPIC is a US-based, non-profit organisation. EPIC creates bonds among caring people devoted to solving global challenges of poverty, 
food insecurity, environmental degradation, human rights and making peace. Go to their website, epicprojects.org. And if you really enjoyed this podcast, please go rate, subscribe, even leave us a little review. It really helps the podcast grow.